Thank you so much, Deacon Wesley, for leading us in our worship. Welcome everyone to our gathering. And today you have come, I keep saying this at almost every service, something historic. And something historic is that our musicians and all are singing live and going live on this live stream service. And so we pray for your continued uh, appreciation and encouragement and prayer for all that we do. And the singers and musicians have put in a tremendous effort. Don't you think so? Do you think we can encourage them? Hmm, we can. We always glorify God, and part of the glorifying of God, we always must encourage one another. That's quite, a, that's a very important gospel principle. So, which one defines your life at this moment? Which of these two statements? Let's take a look at it. Why pray when you can worry? Or why worry when we can pray? And you say, wow. Can you do that one more time? <laughs> um, it's not an unimportant question. It's not simply to get us thinking in a clever way, if we think it's clever. But it's important. For the first one, if that's how you and I are living life, consciously or unconsciously, at least when I worry and you worry, we feel we are in control. That's why we worry. Control. At least I'm thinking about this problem. I'm weighing out the, the choices. I'm considering things. I am thinking as widely about the issue and as deeply about the issue as I think of my children's education, for example, as I think of my own job and security or insecurity, or I think, as I think of my aged parents and who among my siblings should be the one looking after them and who should be contributing what amount to looking after our parents. As I think about my singleness, as I think about my marriage, as I think about my children, as I think about the country that I live in, at least when I think, at least when I worry, I think I'm in charge. Because when I'm thinking and I'm worrying and it's churning in my mind and churning in my head and churning in my tummy, I'm always looking for solutions to my problems. At least I'm always looking for connections to my roadblocks. At least I'm always looking for answers, the deep answers to my deep questions in life. So I think the majority of us, if we took some time to reflect on this, actually function on sentence number one. Why pray? Because when I pray, nothing happens. But then you come to circumstances in life. Circumstances in life that show you there is a huge difference. And as Deacon Wesley prayed, here in Singapore, for those who are tuning in, we just had the tragic news of a 15-year-old Jethro Poir who died tragically after an accident during a high-element activity in which they were out for school activity, and he fell. By all accounts, Jethro's life, as we have read, and Deacon Wesley has prayed, I quote, He was a loving son, an exemplary student, a caring friend, and a class chairperson. That was the statement from the family to the media. And Jethro's family talked about the close bond that Jethro as a teenager had with his family. Not an easy thing to have when you have teenagers because finding friends out there and spending more time out there is a lot more exciting for teenagers than spending time with fuddy-duddy daddy or mummy. His auntie added 
to this beautiful picture of him. I remember him singing, singing him so beautifully. He had an excellent tenor voice. He also enjoyed playing the violin and guitar. But all too soon, this great kid is no more. And the strange thing, the unexpected thing, is that you and I do not read about his family asking or demanding for explanations as to why this has happened. Don't you think it's strange? Or at least they haven't verbalized it. But that's probably true in their personal lives. Instead, every word from them is tinged with this. We know this is not goodbye, as we will see him again in our heavenly home. Which leads us to something that we have been saying here over the years, or at least I've been preaching this. And what is it? That it's not always possible to know the causes and the reasons to all the mysteries of life. But it's always possible to trust. I was going to put a full stop after trust, but then removing that full stop makes a world of difference. It's not always possible to know, but always possible to trust God. And so go back to the first two statements, which do you live by? Which is your philosophy of life? Which one is it? Why worry when we can pray? It's most likely the philosophy and the roadmap of Jethro's family. Why such a huge difference? We've just lost a son. We've just had something we never expected in our life. It all comes down to our Bible truth that we're going to read about today. It comes down to a passage like this, Philippians 4. So Philippians 4 that we read earlier, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord. How often should we rejoice? Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I'm taking it from the NIV because in our studies, we are doing the NIV version, but we just read from the ESV, but it's the same. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Oh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the difference? Why pray? when you can worry? Why worry when you can pray? What's the difference? The difference is who is in charge of life. There is a change of who is in charge. Quite obviously, the person in charge here is the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important person in the entire universe, says who? says, God, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. 
In the past, God used to speak to us in many and various ways. But in the last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. So there's a change of management of the universe, which means there's a change of management of your life and my life. There's a change of management of who runs the US of A and who runs China. There's a change of management of who turns empires up and down. And God has given all authority to Jesus. Jesus Christ is lovingly, supremely sovereign. Lovingly, supremely sovereign. God of the big picture of saving us from the first century to the 21st century. And God of every small detail that happens in your life. So why worry ourselves to death when we can pray to the Lord, the loving Lord of the universe, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the supreme Lord of the universe? That's where Paul is coming from. And just in case we miss it, as we unpack the full weight of the meaning for us and our lives and our relationships, for our purpose for living and our way of living, he gives us in this few verses three instructions. Rejoice always. Let your gentleness be evident to all, your reasonableness, and do not worry about anything, but pray about everything. But as we read the Bible, because we are a church that believes in expository preaching, there's only one kind of preaching, preaching in this context. Why did Paul the Apostle write this? What were his circumstances? Who on earth was he writing to? So a little bit of context will help us. So chapter 4 actually begins this way. So chapter 4, verse 1, verse 1 is missing there, it's 4.1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for. Those who are members of ARPC, regulars who are here, one of the most important things we must always think of ourselves, feel between ourselves, and say to ourselves often, must never shrink from what word. Is it okay for me to say I love you? Uh, I'm just asking. Is it okay for you to say you love me sometimes? By this shall all men know you are my disciples. I find a very worrying trend around the world. This commandment was given by Jesus our Lord before He went to the cross. Whatever we do not know about Jesus and the cross is all about love. An extraordinary love, an inexplicable love, an unmatched love, a divine love, an other person-centered love. And so all who believe in Him and preach the gospel, love must not be far from our minds, from our feelings, and our vocabulary. So Paul is an apostle to the Philippine church. You whom I love and I long for. He's right now separated from them. Have you ever been separated from someone that you love? If you are separated now, it's bad news. If you were separated during circuit breaker, it was extra bad news. Nothing was flying. At least now, you can fly and do the 14 days of stay-home notice on both ends, depending on which country you're going to. Very few countries have exceptions to that. If a loved one, your son, your daughter is studying overseas, your husband or wife is working overseas, they get in trouble, you can't get to them fast enough. You whom I love and I long for, Paul is in prison. And what does he think of his church? 
You're my joy and my crown. Isn't that a little bit proud? You're both my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with two women. He names two women in his church. You, dear, and I plead with Syntyche to be what? To be of the same mind. Quite obviously, they are not of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, help this woman since they have contended at my sight in the course of the gospel, along with Clement, right, to do what? And so the context is vitally important. I ask of you, my true companion, help this woman since they are contended at my sight in the course of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. He's so sure they are brothers and sisters in Christ, their names are written in the book of life. And that's one way of saying that from God's perspective, once saved, always saved. From the human's perspective, we do not know. But there must be increasing evidence that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you notice? Why rejoice? Chapter 4, verse 1, he tells them, stand firm in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 2, between you, dear, and Syntyche, I know you're having a tiff now. I know you're having a quarrel now. And this quarrel is infecting the Philippian church. It's not a private quarrel that Nick has with Pastor Chris. Example, don't think Nick looks like me, but he doesn't have a quarrel with me. Right? It's now blown up and the church knows about it. Agree in the Lord and then rejoice in the Lord. So when you stitch the context together, it's all about the Lord. Because there's been a change of management of the universe, a change of management of the world, a change of management of your lives. Everything now must be done in the Lord, under the Lord, for the Lord. So our greatest goal as Christians is not to believe in Jesus. I always say that to trip people up. Our greatest goal is not to believe in Jesus, is not merely to believe in Jesus, but supremely to become like Jesus. To merely become a Jesus is to make you a Christian atheist, a functional atheist. Is there such a thing as a Christian atheist? Yes. In thought, I believe in Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord. In my life, I show no evidence of Him lording over my gains and lording over my pains. You see that in Jethro's family lording over their joys and lording over their acute loss of Him. So it's because they are in the Lord. And that's why the perspective is very different. That's why the experience is so different. So how to keep rejoicing in the Philippine church? You keep going with the Lord of love. And you keep going with the Lord of love who has come to lay down His life for us save us for God's glory, then you will keep loving one another. This is the true gospel. This is the whole gospel. Don't complicate Christianity. It's all about Father, Son, Holy Spirit loving each other from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. The eternality of God and the eternality of love. And we who have begun to believe in Jesus and His downloaded love to us, the Holy Spirit reproduces Jesus' love. You keep on going with the Lord of love, you will have more and more love in your heart, in your experience, in your life. You know, the Philippine church, I want you to name a few churches if you're Christians. 
in the New Testament. Of course, you can name a few. All the letters. So what's, what's the characteristic of the Corinthian church? Corinthian church, whatever you do not know, 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians, number one problematic church. Number one fighting church. Fights about leaders, fights about gifts, fights about everything. That's why crowning chapter in 1 Corinthians is, this is love. Faith, hope and love. Galatians, what's the problem there? Heresy. But Philippians, no heresy. No problems. In many ways, Philippians was a model church. It was a model church, but now it's beginning to face external threats, external opponents. And who are these external opponents and threats? They'll be threatening this model church, this healthy church. Chapter 1, verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. People do preach the gospel out of envy and rivalry. That has always been the case because you can make tons of money from the 1st century to the 21st. And there are still people doing so, promising you heaven on earth when heaven hasn't arrived on earth in all its fullness. That you believe in Jesus, there'll be no problems. Believe in Jesus, there'll be no sickness. Believe in Jesus, heaven has arrived. Where else we keep preaching, heaven's arrived in Christ, but it's now but not yet. We do not preach Christ out of envy. We preach Christ out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. That's what Paul says. I don't want anything from you. I just want God what, what God wants from you. Right? And what does God want from you? We don't want anything from you. We don't want your girlfriend. Keep your girlfriend. You, we don't want your boyfriend. He's not too good looking. Keep your boyfriend. We don't want anything from you. We just want you for God. We want you for Christ. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. See that envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Can you see the ambition? Wesley is very ambitious. Can you see the ambition? You can't see ambition. Ambition is a hidden thing. It takes time to reveal ambition. Not sincerely supposing that you can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So he's already in prison, and while Paul is in prison, they, they accuse him of different things. Is he truly a, an apostle? If he's truly an apostle, will he be in prison? Look at us, we are the true apostles. He's full of trouble, we got no troubles. So you shouldn't trust this man. He's already down and out in prison, humanly speaking, and then down and out, this is, you can't get worse than that, right? Somebody is down and out and you kick them. When you see that in real life, it, it just churns. It just churns in you. A model church? But you are not just facing external dangers, external threats to their love and their unity. You are facing internal dangers. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. You mean Paul is saying his joy is not complete? His joy is not complete as long as their love is not complete. You want to write that down somewhere? His joy is not complete until their love is complete. The love of Christ is not complete until the people of Christ love one another. In visual display of the love of Christ, 
Of course, Christ's work is complete. He did it on the cross. But Christ's work is to reproduce the church, you and me who have faith in Him. And His work is not complete until we love one another as Christ has loved the church. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. So what was under threat? Oneness. Love and oneness, love and oneness, love and oneness. Love always displays itself in oneness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they always love each other. You will never hear the Father say of the Son, I'm quite tired of the Son. You will never, say, never hear the Son say in his early life, the Father's plans are, I don't trust Him. A Spirit of God, should we do something against the Father? Is that making sense? Love is always experienced in peace and oneness. And then, there's a third thing. A model church by internal dangers, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. There was increasing... So it's not just the false teachers out there who had selfish ambition, but within the church, what used to be a model church, experiencing the love of God and other person-centeredness, now they crept into the Philippian church. There were now cracks of selfish ambition or vain glory, vain conceit. It's pride. A model church, and finally, very, very frightening, there is an open fight between Eudea and Syntyche. Now, why am I taking you to this? If you don't understand the background to this, his prayers in Philippians 4 will make little sense. Because the three things they were facing were this. External dangers from their circumstances, opponents of Paul, accusations of Paul and his credibility. So the love between them and Paul was weakening. The love between them and their pastor was weakening. Their founding pastor. When you lose love for your leaders, when you lose love for brothers and sisters in Christ, you should start to be worried. Enemies within, there were cracks of ambition and conceit. And it was covered up by, oh no, I'm doing this for ministry. I'm doing this for God's glory. And then there's an open wound, an open quarrel. So lovelessness and self-centeredness was now slowly but surely growing in the church. Lovelessness and self-centeredness was slowly creeping into the church. I want to ask of you, what do you think of ALPC? Model church? Troublesome church, the 1 Corinthians? Church facing heresy like Galatians? Or model church like Philippines? It's good to think of your own churches, right? Wherever you are, listening to this. I didn't know what kind of church we were, but I've been working hard over the last 30 years to make sure that we understand that the heart of the gospel is a loving church. Until we had our speaker come in one of our church camps, and he said, you know, your reputation is known even in America. And what reputation? Did you try to preach the gospel? You try to live the gospel? And do we take that for granted? Not as a boast, but is that true? Dangers from our own circumstances. We take this, and Paul's warning to them can be personalized to us. 
Beware the slippery road of lovelessness. Beware making enemies of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Beware demonizing your God-given leaders and pastors. And somewhere along the line, you give yourself enough reasons, you know, this person in my discipleship group, this person in my cell group, if you have them, you also pray for them to leave. They are really irritating, no? Right? You know that Clement, he's always asking the wrong questions. Right? You know that Dorcas there, ayo, the way she dresses every week. Then this couple comes, huh? they don't realize that half the group are single folk as they sit down there. One is stroking the other person, the other stroking the other person. My goodness! There's so much PDA! Are you losing your loveless, your love for each other? You get on that road. By God's grace, every year we do about 35 to 40 weddings. I ask you not to take that for granted. We just did two today. And almost every wedding, I, I warn them, never get used to loveless thoughts, loveless words, loveless deeds. Never get used to loveless thoughts and words and deeds. So if today I can think a loveless thought about Mona, my wife, and get away with it, God didn't zap me for that loveless thought. Right? Mona is always so lazy. Mona is always so late. Mona is always so untidy. Did I say all that? Please don't tell her. Right. If I can get away with that thought for today, and I didn't get zapped by God, I still have my quiet time. I still pray to God. Tomorrow I can do the same thing. Except that by tomorrow and Monday and Wednesday and my next Saturday, it has be- lovelessness. It- loveless thoughts of Mona has become part of me. I've learned to, I'm blind to it. I've learned to justify it. And sometimes in churches, in Christian congregations, we get used to it. So uh, this is why I said to the couple, this is why I said to many couples. So in Christian marriage and family, you must learn to call what? You must learn to call a spade a spade. You must learn to call sin a sin. So as a true child of God and a follower of Jesus, you must not say in Christian marriage, don't say, I'm irritated with you. Say more honestly, I'm angry with you. Because irritation or frustration is not a sin. Anger is a sin. Don't say lightly in marriage, we've got a communication problem, Mona. Say more, like, say more honestly, I don't like your opinion, I like my opinion. Don't say flippantly, I'm a bad listener. Say more honestly, Chris, I don't really care, to, to, I don't really care what you're saying, Mona. Don't say, I got no time. More honest for me to say under God, I, got, I won't make time for you, Mona. Don't say, you have your view, I have my view. We agree to disagree. Say, at this moment, as we talk about the children's education, as we talk about looking after mum, at this moment, we are both too proud to concede. Don't say, not tonight, honey. I got a headache. I got a permanent migraine. Say, I don't care to meet your sexual needs which no one else can meet except me as your God-given spouse, husband. The moment you and me get on the slippery road of thinking we can say the first part of each sentence, we are on the road to destruction. You believe that? Then you take them into all your relationships. It was a model church in Philippi. But now they were loosening in their bonds of love. Their tenderness, their compassion to each other was going down the gurgler. 
And Paul was saying to them, you think there's nothing. It is everything. And so from the external circumstances that put Paul in prison to the internal circumstances of increasing envy and ambition and conflict in their lives to the open fight between Judea and Syntyche, you could decide to go one way or the other. When you choose our way on the left-hand side, us, us facing our circumstances, you facing your circumstances, in all likelihood, when your circumstances turn, go south, turn south, you're going to end up with lovelessness and joylessness. But if you do it God's way, and it's us facing our circumstances with Christ as our Lord, Christ lords over our circumstances. And He can turn the unloving thoughts and the joyless relationships into loving thoughts and loving relationships and joyful relationships. So I want to ask you at this point, is it just Jeff facing his circumstances? Or is it Jeff facing his circumstances through Christ? Jeff facing his circumstances will always produce the opposite. Jeff and Chris facing our circumstances through Christ, in Christ, under Christ. Only then can you understand Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. What do you call this? Paul is like a spiritual parent to teenagers. Must repeat. Lah. Hey, son. Rejoice. Huh? Hey, let me say it again. Rejoice. Whenever you have to say a thing twice, right, means you're dealing with a teenager. No, friends. Whenever you have to say a thing twice means you don't believe. They don't believe they can rejoice in their circumstances. Are you kidding? You want me to rejoice? You're in prison? We believe in you and the gospel? And you say that Jesus is supreme Lord of the universe and you are in prison and we are left out here. And because we believe in Jesus, we are increasingly opposed and persecuted and, and sidelined. Are you kidding? Rejoice in spite of our circumstances? Yes. Rejoice in the Lord. When you face circumstances under the umbrella of Jesus, it doesn't get too stormy. It may be raining, but you're facing it under Him. And He gives you the other reasons. The Lord is near. What does He mean by the Lord is near? It could mean that the Lord is near. The second coming, every day you live, is one day closer to His return. His glorious return. He could mean that. So no matter what you're facing in life, whatever persecution, opposition, whatever swanning you have on social media, however people are ostracizing you, bad-mouthing you, please take a leave from me. I'm in prison. But the Lord is near me. Is He near me in time? Sure. Is He near me in presence? Yes. He is in me by His Holy Spirit. So could, could it have a temporal meaning? Could it have a personal, spatial meaning? In all likelihood, it can be both. The Lord is near. And because the Lord is near, you don't have to be badgered. You don't have to be bullied by your circumstances. Have you ever been saved by... Have you ever been bullied in school? If you're bullied in school, 
but you have a, somebody who knows martial arts, a Bruce Lee, you can say to them, you wait till my brother come. You're telling your bully, just wait for the nearness of my brother. I may be very small size compared to him, but when my brother comes, he's going to give you a big fight. The nearness of the Lord, temporal or spatial, He's near you. But when the circumstances happen, He feels a million miles away from you. What word did I use? Your feeling that God is a million miles away from you is different from the fact that the Lord is in you and near you. So do not indulge your feelings. Your feelings remain your feelings. They are subjective. The Lord promising never to leave you or forsake you, the Lord promising to come again and to raise you to eternal life and to give glorious lives and glorious bodies no matter how much we decay, that's not a feeling. That's a fact. But if you deal with your circumstances without that fact of Jesus being in you, near you, you will crumble. So the Lord is near. Rejoice always. I say again, rejoice. Here is the reason. Why worry when you can pray? So do not. So there is one prohibition, stop this. And there is one command, start this. So stop worrying, because that was part of Joe's pagan life. When Joe was in control of his life, now start praying, because you are under new management because Jesus is your loving, sovereign Lord, that no detail escapes Him, no enemy will go unchallenged in your life. Nothing you do for God will be unnoticed and unrewarded. So I want to ask you, what is it you're stopping and what is it you're starting? And very dangerous, my friends, COVID-19. Maybe you can't see the end of this. I do not know what reports you've read, but I read a few. And the few reports that I read, both were not good news. The first one is all what we all heard. Our own minister, Lawrence Wong, said, this thing called COVID-19 could last, did he say three or four years or four or five years? Which one was it? Four or five, right? I do not know how you felt. Four or five years of wearing this mask? Of not being able to hug you when you come to church? For the life of me, four or five years of this, then I read a report on CNN, right? And this is a, an expert. As he studied all pandemics, he said roughly all pandemics take about seven years. <sighs> that was the last thing I read. So I said, Lord, I better meditate on Philippians 4. Is it four years? Is it five years? Is it seven years? The first two years is just this. Working out. And previously, before, before they had vaccination, you just have to wait for the herd immunity. And then after the first two years of that, the third or fourth year, then slowly get back to more normal, we interact a bit more. Then for it to bounce back fully, you look back at all pandemics, it's about the fifth or sixth year. If you keep reading the things of this world, you will stop praying and ultimately stop believing in God. It's very important, friends. You hear the gospel, you stop believing in that, you start praying, 
And this virus, it is under the Jesus' Lordship. Amen? Hmm. People online, they did say, Amen. <laughs> he uses four different words. Did you notice? Prayer, prosuke, petition, deesis. Usually translated petition, supplication. Thanksgiving, the word Eucharist, Eucharista, and request. The number one Greek word in the New Testament for prayer is actually etio. And etio is really the asking word. Prayer is really asking. Prayer is really asking. So is he giving you four different steps about prayer? No. He's just saying whatever you do not know, prayer now is your new norm if you are a believer in Jesus and follower of Jesus. Worry was your old normal. Worrying yourself to sickness, worrying yourself to distraction, worrying yourself to destruction was your old business, your old self. Now praying yourself out of this is your new normal. And so is Jesus Lord of your life and basically what he's saying is, Lord, 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 rejoice in the Lord always. Lord, 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 everywhere is the Lord Jesus Christ. The sovereignty of the Lord Jesus is what cures anxiety. The sovereignty of the Lord is what cures, which, what brings serenity. That's not too hard to remember, right? Don't worry about anything, start praying about everything. Sovereignty cures anxiety. Sovereignty brings serenity. Do you believe that? Will you be different after listening to this sermon? Will you be different, brothers and sisters, on my left and right, after you listen to this? Yes. There is a different way to live. It's living under the Lordship of Jesus. Right? I've shared this before. This was in my pre-Christian days, of studying so hard for all levels and studying so hard. Always, you know, never study early. Cram, 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 cram at the last minute. And always, you know, will pass and ace it. And I was so distracted one day, I was studying, I, I don't know which subjects already, and I was brushing my teeth early in the morning at 2am, 3am, brushing my teeth. I said, this toothpaste tastes terrible. I had put my pimple cream. <laughs> I was brushing my teeth with... You can worry yourself to destruction. If I swallow the pimple cream, it will worry myself to destruction. Because that's a small, light-hearted thing. Is that you? First thing in the morning, bang, this worry. Continuing thought through the day, bang, this worry. Last thought at night, the same thing. You're worrying to destruction. Serenity is altogether different. So mother was just sharing about the daughter getting married. Right? She was, they were hoping that when she went to university, university is a great place to fall in love. First year, didn't fall in love. Second year, didn't fall in love. Now in the final year, still didn't fall in love. And now as they sent her over to overseas to study, she was now in love with staying overseas and didn't want to come back. And so it was now the last term. And Lord, help. Right? She doesn't want to come back. She wants to settle there. And in that final year, in the final term, if not wrong, she fell in love. Fell in love with a guy who is from here. And not just from here. They're both studying similar courses, both working in the same hospital. So she has to come back now. 
And guess what? He's bonded for six years. That's what she just shared with me. That's why I love my job as a pastor, is it? They are always illustrations. The anxiety for our children being matched up might drive us to obsession. And here was the lesson. She just whispered that to me. It's the sovereignty of God. Can you plan that? It's looking very risky, Lord. She's in the third year already. There's no more chance. <laughs> sovereignty cures anxiety. Sovereignty brings serenity. It is the peace of God. And you know the word that he guards your heart and mind. Philippi had a Roman garrison. If you are guarded by Roman soldiers, you are safe. You were safe in the ancient world, in the first century, because a Roman soldier was the best equipped soldier. You're guarded by any other soldier, they can't guarantee you. You're guarded by a Roman soldier, a Roman commander, you are safe. And Paul deliberately uses this word because he's in prison. There is no way he's going to run out of the prison because he's got the best prison guards guarding him. He twists and turns the words around for the gospel. I'm not being guarded here by a Roman soldier. I'm guarded here by the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's why we move from destructive worry to liberating prayer. There's a change in management. And then I tag this along. You know why? Most of us read Philippians 4, and we finish at verse 7. But you know what? He has a finally. It's like reading a letter or a message, but you didn't read the whole message. And finally, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice. And guess what? It's a swap around. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And now, the God of peace. I'm not the only one playing around with language. Paul does. Is, is it a play around of language? No. The peace of God is what God enjoys between Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I said, they have never stopped loving each other. They have never, they've never had a moment of war. They've always had peace. And so the peace of God, the serenity that God Himself enjoys between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is now available to you. The serenity that God enjoys between Himself is now available to you through the finished work of Jesus and the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why He can end by saying the God of peace will be with you. What do you call this passage and what can we learn as we end our time together? This is the teenager's passage. is the whatever passage, law. There are six whatevers here. Right? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. He said, where did Paul get this list? It's a list of virtues. He says, in the ancient world, they also got this list of virtues. Or maybe he just cut and paste from the ancient philosophers. Answer is yes and no. 
He maybe cut and paste this are quite known to the world out there with their philosophers and philosophies, but he cut and paste in actually saying all these virtues are the virtues of Jesus. The virtues of God seen, downloaded now in Jesus. And so, friends, I do not know. Look at the, the phrase there. Think about such things. From morning to night, what occupies your mind? And here's a very important one. A very important one. Does the thought come from God? Is the thought about God and the things of God and the virtues of God and the people of God? The thought come from God, about God and for God's glory? If the thought is not from God, is not about God and not for God's glory, don't think it. It's as simple as that. That's the new discipline. Why do you want to think angry thoughts? Is, is, is the angry thought from God? No. Why do you want to think envy? Why do you want to think unforgiveness? Why do you want to think discontentment? Is it from God? Is it about God? Is it for God's glory? No, 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 no. Why poison your mind? Garbage in, garbage out. So we garbage in and then we pretend it is glory out. You can't think anger, then walk around with a peaceable face. Unless you have rehearsed it really well. You just can't do that, friends. So, back to Jesus, back to basics is our series, right? So we've been saying this. Seven fundamental talks and Bible studies. Our new identity in Jesus, from Jesus, must give birth to new habits. And now the two new habits from this passage is new habits of prayer and new habits of thinking. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is from God, about God, you think these thoughts. That's why we are pounding home these truths. Too many of us as evangelical Christians, too many of us as Protestant Christians, we pride ourselves, yeah, my identity is Jesus. I believe Jesus. Before I die, I will call His name. But so few of us, the identity of Jesus has flowed over to new thoughts, new habits of prayerfulness, and new habits of thinking that you see and say, it's quite different. Quite different. And so, I pull this out on Jethro Poir from this article from Thirst, and I pull out this line from the person who wrote it, Gabriel. Whatever you can't say of Jethro, there was a little bit of heaven in the boy before he got to heaven. That's not bad, right? There was a little bit of heaven in him before God took him to heaven. New identity, cognitively, is not enough. It must lead to new habits of prayer, of godliness. That this young teenager lived not for himself. He lived for his parents. He lived for his friends because he lived for his Lord. And there's a very huge difference. You know why? I just want to pound home habits to you. We began with this series. We have just held a men's conference. And I said to the man, right? I said to the man, you are a series of habits. You become your habits. Your habits become you. Not good enough 
that you and me just once a week read the Bible, once a week hear a sermon, the Lord by His Spirit is changing your mind and changing your life. You believe that? And so we've got to change our habits. Start habits of prayer, start habits of new mind. Very important that we do this. And habits, my friends, are moment by moment by moment. So our goal is to be Christ-like. But friends, you don't rise as high as your goal. You rise as high as your habits. If my first thought in the morning is not Jesus, Lord of my life, I can't say that my life of 30 years will be Christ-like. If my ongoing thought is not Christ and how He helps me control, how He helps me surrender my envy, my anger, my unforgiveness, my lust, and all the things of this flesh, you rise as high as your habits of thoughts. And then we had a basic, our youth ministry, gathering between parents, youth, and the leaders. And I said, you must have devotions to be devoted families to God. And what are the devotions for devoted families? You are prone to certain habits. Sorry, that line's wrong. Prone to what habits? So you could see it between the family. My, my, my dad is very prone to anxiety. How can we as the children pray as we have our nightly devotions, weekly devotions? How can we pray for dad in the very stressful work that he does as a policeman and the very stressful work that he does as a civil servant, crafting out all these policies? And so many of our members here are in those kind of jobs. So many of them are doctors and nurses and civil servants, very prone to anxiety. Can we pray as the son and daughter? Can you teach a five-year-old son, a seven-year-old daughter to pray for dad in this high-pressure job? Not to cave into anxiety, but to move to serenity? You can. You pray that hard enough, you pray that long enough, you will break the cycle of Satan tempting your dad and your mum into anxiety. Your dad and mum, whenever they talk, huh, do they have a conversation or do they have accusation? Hey, did you wake up? When my dad and mom talk, huh? they don't talk, huh? they don't have a conversation. It's just mutually accusing. How, how come you put this there? How come you didn't do this? Have you done that or not? <laughs> that's not a conversation, that's an accusation. All you have is accusations from morning to night. Under the Lord Jesus, can it be moved from a series of accusations to a series of affirmations? I love you, Mona. Without you, I collapse. I just said that because we just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. If I did say that, I'll be sleeping with the dog. <laughs> I really love you. And if you left, I don't know how to, how to carry on. She'll say, don't worry. Other people will come and help you. I say, who? The whole church lah. <laughs> you better come and help. Huh? <laughs> and then judgmentalism. And with, you know, two words from your, from your teenager, you're already boxing him. I already told you, all your friends are useless, you know. Can you praise a family as you have those devotions that you move from judging each other, father, son, daughter, to cherishing each other? I love you. Don't be afraid to use the, I love you, I treasure you. I understand what you're going through. Lord, help me to be patient with you. Sorry, Dad has been impatient with you for the last six months. I'm so sorry. Right? I thought your world was easy. Your world is not easy. Right? Your world is not easy. Standing up for Jesus in secondary school, 
standing up for Jesus in JC, standing up for Jesus in ITE and Poly. You know, we are facing, our children are facing reverse discrimination, especially for sexuality issues. Oh, you believe, you really believe that God created you, men and women, that's all, is it? That's all you believe in. We call that reverse discrimination. And our children are having to back away. I'm sorry I believe that. I'm sorry I believe that. Don't be sorry you believe that. That's how God created us. Low self-esteem. Can you pray that the child who was always prone to low self-esteem, that you noticed this when they were in primary school, when in kindergarten you really noticed par on par with this fella, with this other child, this one, whenever he gets scolded by teacher, the teacher was scolding somebody, but he come back and he cried. <laughs> but it was the other fellow who was wrong. And so each one of this, it's your new life in the Lord that leads you to habits of prayer and habits of new thinking that you don't have to start there. Where you start, it doesn't have to be where you end. Princess is in Christ. And so, how do we begin? You've got to carry on. Why pray when you worry, when you can worry? Or why worry when you can pray? And I highly suggest you make the paradigm shift because you either worry yourself to death or you pray yourself to heaven because Jesus Christ is Lord. There are two ways to live in deep. Which will you choose? I pray and hope we will be different. New identity, new habits. Let's stand. I'm going to give you some time to reflect on what you've heard from God's Word. And whenever God speaks to us, He always speaks for a response. God never speaks in a vacuum. The Word of God will go forth and accomplish what He sent the Word for, the saving of many. What is it that the Lord has spoken to you? Whatever He has convicted you of, a sin you need to confess, a wrong you need to right, a relationship you need to mend. And today, especially, our prayerlessness and our habits that we have not changed, may they all come under the Lordship of Jesus. Settle those matters with Him. We thank you and praise you, Heavenly Father, for all that you say to us in your word is true. And all that you say to, in your word to us leads us to your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul says to us, rejoice. We are called not to be anxious about anything, but to pray about everything. May we not simply hear your word, but be doers of your word. Bring about this change in us because we belong to the sovereign, the sovereign one, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as much as we pray for Jethro and his parents, we pray for ourselves and stand together as one, there must be that change 
that change in our life unto your glory. Amen.